Medford is a small town in New Jersey, about 24,000 people. It's only 20 miles from Philadelphia. There's a dead-end street in Medford that's lined with several really nice large houses. Most of them have swimming pools, you know, that kind of nice house. But there is one house that's different. Unlike the rest of the houses on the street, this one was designed to withstand pretty much anything like nuclear war, or civil unrest, or hurricanes. The couple who built and designed the house, well, they were prepared to keep their friends and their family safe, whatever happened. But a twist of fate meant that they were actually prepared to help people they'd never even met. That's what's happening today on Relate. I'm Tamara Stanners, and this is Relate by Zendesk. Producer Andy Shepard is here again. This time, just like you get to talk about the fun things like doomsday stuff. Yeah, well, you know, with, with all the like Ugh. hurricanes and, you know, that have happened recently and, you know, all this talk of, you know, nuclear brinksmanship yeah, in North Korea. It's kind of wild. It's, well, it's, and it's top of the mind too, mm-hmm. right? Now, when you say doomsday preparation, most of us think of putting together like a kit, which I do have mm-hmm. flashlight, batteries, canned food, bottled water, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's the sort of thing that you typically imagine. But the characters in this story took it to the next level. And then they took it like five levels beyond that. The house was built using commercial uh, technology uh, instead of wood construction the outside walls were uh, what they call fluted concrete block so the walls were uh, almost a foot thick and it had double quarter inch uh, tempered glass windows joseph bedame is a licensed architect and so he knew what he was doing and he wasn't messing around with you know half measures it was basically divided into five sections i would say there was the main house and there was a separate two-bedroom apartment and a efficiency apartment for my mother-in-law. Uh, oh, and it had a full basement, which doubled as the survival bunker, I guess you would call it. It was totally buried. Uh, it was designed as a shelter for storms, for hurricanes, for civil disobedience, uh, riots, you name it. And uh, within that was a small radiation shelter in case of an atomic attack. Oh, he seriously wasn't messing around. No, I mean, this home expanded to 8,500 square feet. There were several kitchens, there were separate shower rooms, banks of washing machines and dryers, and enough room to accommodate a hundred people. What, a hundred people? Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of mouths to feed. No and, kidding. you know, Joseph had worked out a system uh, for this as well. Over the years, I started accumulating mostly dry food, food that could keep for decades. And I devised my own system of 55-gallon barrels with plastic liners uh, and then placing food in plastic bags and packing them tightly and then filling the, the barrel with nitrogen and sealing it. Okay, but why did they build this 
thing. Well, uh, it was a labor of love for Joseph and his wife, Phyllis. Um, they began building this house in the early 1970s. The two of them had returned um, from a two-year stint uh, in Tunisia with the Peace Corps. And when we came home, it was 1970, and there were riots all over the country uh, that were pretty severe, and some of them were in our own backyard. We lived uh, very, very close to Camden, and Phyllis had two sisters that lived in downtown Camden who had their apartments burned. And as a result, both of us came to the conclusion that uh, we probably should get away from the urban area. Uh, it did not seem like uh, the future was very good there. So we started searching for uh, land as far out as we could afford. Uh, we wound up buying a lot in Medford, New Jersey and uh, building a house that was uh, suitable for uh, any crisis that could come up. So they built the house and settled into Medford, and they were prepared for pretty much anything except for this. In 2005, Joseph's wife, Phyllis, had a massive stroke. That paralyzed her on her left side, uh, blinded her in one eye. She had already lost her hearing in one ear and uh, unable to do anything for herself. So I pretty much stopped work. My partner took over most of the responsibilities. Doctors didn't expect Phyllis to live beyond a year or so, but she was well enough to do some traveling. So Joseph took out a line of credit so they'd have some money to travel around. He wanted their you know, last years together to be as special as possible. I, I guess what happened was I took such good care of her. Instead of living for a year, she lived for eight years. But all during that time, we still continued our preparations, but they, they got more critical because we were running out of money. I took out a huge $500,000 loan on the house. We had spent all of our savings. Uh, had my own business, so I didn't have a pension or a retirement program. In 2013, Phyllis died from another stroke, and Joseph was left in a dire financial situation. And so by the time she died in 2013, uh, I had a $500,000 loan on the house and a couple hundred thousand dollars in other borrowed money. Though, that is an unimaginable sum to deal with, especially for someone at Joseph's stage in life. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not like he can start over again. Right. I managed to continue for four, three years after she died, but then it, it was apparent that I just couldn't keep up. So um, I defaulted on the mortgage about a year ago. So... This all seems pretty bleak for Joseph, and it is. I mean, he was going to be evicted from his house, and he was forced to have an estate sale. But here's where the silver lining kind of starts to peek through a little bit. The net result was the house was just loaded with stuff, uh, good stuff, unused, all in boxes, a lot of survival stuff. 
4,000 rolls of toilet paper, dish detergent, laundry detergent, disinfectants, uh, everything. And there was also all of that food. Yeah, well, it it turned out to be 30,000 pounds of food. Are you serious? Yeah, 30,000 pounds. I had already uh, attempted to contact local uh, food banks uh, and uh, soup kitchens and so forth. And the big issue with all of them was uh, they had no means of transportation or, or uh, manpower to get it out of the basement, get it in a truck, and get it to their place. Now, the company that ran the estate sale hired a food truck to sell snacks to people coming by the house to look around, and Victoria was running the truck. My name is Victoria Martinez Barber. This was like the day after Maria hit, so this is September 21st. This was the day after Hurricane Maria had devastated the island of Puerto Rico. Victoria has a lot of family there. So we hadn't heard from our family uh, in that time yet. We just knew, the last thing we heard was we got a message uh, the 20th at 8 o'clock in the morning that they had to evacuate and were on the roof waiting to be rescued. And they were devastated uh, uh, two days before the estate sale, Maria hit, and they were not able to contact her family and uh, were looking for a way to help them. I was in shock and then I would go through bouts of just crying and thankfully, uh, and my husband Anthony is more of a get the job done kind of guy. So he can kind of pull me out of the crying, the depression and say, you know, we gotta keep going. So we met Joseph, and uh, and I had a, uh, a a sign out there that all of my uh, uh, proceeds for my food truck will go to Puerto Rico, and Joseph was the first person to donate, and he and the only person to donate, in fact, that weekend, and uh, and it, he donated a hundred dollars. Joseph Bedame, the man who was being evicted from his own house, donated money, but he was about to give a whole lot more. Now, Joseph, after that, uh, we got talking. He said, you know, come down to the basement, and if you can get the food out of there, you can haul it out of there, you can have it. And, and you know, going down to the basement, I, um, you know, I was anticipating a food pantry. Um, I, I, was not, I, I was not prepared uh, for an entire room and barrows of food. It was just, I was overwhelmed with joy and it, because it was truly life, life changing for, for me at that moment. Uh, because not only would I be able to, to help my family, but I would be able to help thousands with that amount of food. What an absolutely incredible turn of events for everybody. For all of them. Right. Well, so, I mean, all this time, you know, Joseph was really worried, you know, like all this food was going to go to waste. Uh, you know, there were 80 barrels and each of these barrels had 360 pounds of food. And then, you know, here was Victoria and her husband, Anthony, who had so many people that they knew could use this food. Quite frankly, I was somewhat skeptical that, uh, that so much food, literally tons of food, could be gotten to 
uh, Puerto Rico and distributed uh, by this little waif. <laughs> Uh, Victoria is five feet tall. She weighs 100 pounds. Uh, and uh, she's a fireball. But how did they get it there? 30,000 pounds is a lot of food to move. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I mean, Victoria and her husband had to figure out logistics, and that was not easy. Uh, they tried renting an 18-wheeler to get it to a port in Florida, but because of some obscure uh, law on the books, they weren't going to be able to ship it to Puerto Rico. Uh, Victoria tried everything she could think of to get the food there, but she was stuck. So then at that point, I went to Facebook and I was just, you know, hysterical. I I wanted someone to help me get the food there. And that is when a family friend works for a company uh, in Puerto Rico and sells high-end art. They got a Delta flight and we were able to send 24,000 pounds of food. Amazing. Yeah, I, yeah, it really is because everybody sprang into action to get this food organized and off to the airport. Uh, but before the barrels were all loaded up, Joseph did one very special thing. And that morning I got up very early and I printed out pictures of Phyllis, my wife. And on the picture I put uh, Via Con Dios from your friends in America. Oh, that is so beautiful. And what an amazing legacy for her. But what did Victoria and Anthony face when they got to Puerto Rico? Well, the food got there ahead of them. They had arranged for it to be loaded on trucks and brought into um, Arecibo. And they arrived at the end of October. And Arecibo, like most of Puerto Rico, was devastated. But they were about to see just how much Joseph's gift would help the people of Arecibo. One barrel feeds 80 people for about four months, and there were 40 barrels. So this is helping, I mean, hundreds of people. No one fought over them. Nobody was uh, stealing them. Uh, And the first reaction to the neighbors when they saw Anthony and and, uh, Victoria show up with their backpacks and their rented van was, can we help you? So everybody shared, everybody was orderly, friendly, grateful, all the emotions that you would not expect in a crisis situation five weeks after uh, a storm hit. It didn't hit me until I saw pictures that Anthony and Victoria were sending back showing the barrels sitting in in Puerto Rico in front of her grandmother's house and you could see the, the pictures on on the barrels. And it, it at that moment it dawned on me what we had done and uh, how massive uh, the effort was and that it had been successful. And it just uh, warmed my heart when they said people were cutting off the pictures and keeping them. That was particularly uh, heartwarming. So for now, are Anthony and Victoria back in New Jersey? Yeah, they're back home and they've raised more money and they have uh, 40 more barrels of food uh, that they're going to send and they're planning on doing more fundraising and they're going to go back 
in late December along with the rest of that food. That's incredible. And what about Joseph? So, you know, I think it's bittersweet for Joseph. I mean, it's a difficult situation for him to be in, but all of this work that he had put in has been worth it because it has helped so many people. Uh, By helping Puerto Rico in their hour of need, uh, and at this end, the the people that have uh, salvaged me uh, and and caused me to have a, a, a positive outlook on life. I believe that oh, everyone can learn from Joseph. I, I mean, he's just, he's probably the most, well, he is the most humble person I've ever met. And he's an expert. And, and you know, I, I never thought about uh, a mass catastrophe happening. And, and, but it happens and it hit me directly to, to my core. Uh, so I believe that, you know, I thank God for his efforts. We, even if we just prepare for a little bit, prepare for your own family, I think you would be better off. Victoria and Anthony have set up a GoFundMe page. Just search Arecibo Hurricane Relief at GoFundMe.com. And Joseph has been living in a motorhome on Victoria and Anthony's property. He'll be moving it permanently to another friend's property, but for now, he's there and he's okay. Special thanks to Tina Pitaway, who battled technology snafus and escaped pigs to bring us this story. (laughs) And thank you, Andy. It's my pleasure. Hopefully you never have to deal with a scenario like that, but it's easy to get blindsided by unexpected events. And 30,000 pounds of food might be overkill, but it's still really important to be prepared. There's a very useful article in the Relate Online magazine called Crisis Lessons from a Hurricane. It talks about how to apply the experiences from a major disaster like that to the less life-threatening but still important day-to-day crises we all face. You can find that article and lots more useful stuff at relate.zendesk.com. That's it for Relate, but we've got another episode coming your way in a week. In the meantime, subscribe to Relate for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and we'll get that episode to you automatically. For articles on how to connect with your customers in deeper, more meaningful ways, visit relate.zendesk.com. And for a free trial of our customer service software, check out zendesk.com. I'm Tamara Stanners. Talk to you next week.